0: Welcome to the ASBMR Speaks podcast. My name is Dr. Suzanne Jondeber, President of the ASBMR, and I am proud to present the only podcast dedicated to discussing the latest developments in bone, mineral, and musculoskeletal research. ASBMR is the society of basic translational and clinical scientists that make observations that spark discovery with flow from the bench to the bedside and the bedside to the bench. This four-part series is hosted by Dr. Dolores Showback, Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Throughout these episodes, we'll speak with pioneers in the PTH field. We'll explore basic PTH physiology, actions of PTHRP, PTH for osteoporosis treatment, and groundbreaking discoveries in hypoparathyroidism. The important actions of PTH are just one example of numerous discoveries that have been elucidated by ASBMR scientists, shaping fundamental understanding of bone, mineral, and musculoskeletal biology, and then harnessing this knowledge to improve human health. Be sure to subscribe to the ASBMR Speaks podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to tune in to future episodes. Thank you for joining us.
1: I want to welcome our listeners to this podcast by the asbmr and i'm I'm here today to have a conversation uh, with Dr. Natalie Sims. My name is Dolores Shoback. I'm at the University of California, San Francisco, and I'm an endocrinologist interested in basic mechanisms of parathyroid hormone action and secretion and been interested in this for a really long time. And so I'm really thrilled to have this conversation with you, Natalie. Tell us a little bit about your current position and, and your work in Australia.
2: Thanks, Dolores. It's great to be here. My role, I'm, I'm the deputy director of an independent medical research institute called St. Vincent's Institute here in Melbourne. And I'm also a professorial fellow at the University of Melbourne. Um, I run a lab that, that works on various aspects of basic science, trying to understand the structure and function of bone, um, particularly focused on the interleukin-6 family of cytokines, as well as parathyroid hormone-related
1: proteins. Wow. So some of the things you've said, I think our listeners may, if, if they're American-based, will not really understand a deputy director and a professorial fellow. So tell us a little bit about the structure of uh, academic research and academic science in, in Australia and, and how those two kind of go together and a little bit about the position and what you exactly do every day.
2: Sure. So, so research in Australia, there's a number of different ways you can work as a researcher. Um, One would be within a university, just as in the American system where you could have a research only position or you have a position that's a mixture of both teaching and research one of the traditions that we also have here in Australia is many um, not-for-profit research institutes which function independently of the university system and St Vincent's Institute is one of those but of course we have PhD students and we have um, honorary roles with a university that's nearby and so for us our university is the University of Melbourne so I do a little bit of teaching there one or two lectures a year so nothing like a, a teaching load that uh, a university employed teaching and research person would have. So my, my job is mostly um, doing research itself, but also I have an administrative load to, to help keep our institution together and keep that running
1: well. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned kind of your work is is more broad than just PTHRP. Tell us a little bit about you know, how you got into the work you do do with PTHRP and And uh, what got you interested in that to begin with? Sure.
2: So all of my work has really been driven by the direction that the data takes me in. Um, My research is generally curiosity driven. So I tend to follow a project from beginning to end as much as I can, whichever way the data takes me. Now, when I when I started um, my, my very first research project actually related a little bit to PDHRP during my PhD back in the 1990s um, I worked on a PTHRP fragment which was actually sent down from Jack Martin in Melbourne to me in Adelaide and the lab where I was doing my my PhD And in the years after that, many of the projects I worked on sort of overlapped with PTH and PTHRP in different ways because they're very central molecules in what we study in bone, and they're interesting because they are able to stimulate bone formation, whether it's physiologically or pharmacologically. Um, I never really got into PTHRP until quite some time after moving to Melbourne. So I moved to Melbourne in 2001. Um, particularly to work with Jack Martin, who I thought of as an osteoclast person, um, but they just showed that <laughs> I hadn't really read the literature properly. And when I got here, like everyone kept talking about PTHRP more than I'd ever heard before. And it's kind of embarrassing, but I didn't actually know that Jack Martin's lab were the first to purify PTHRP and so I didn't work on it for quite a while but in in the last uh, probably 5 to 10 years I've become more and more interested in PTHRP just because I spend so much time with Jack and and it's such an interesting molecule you know it's amazing he's still working on it after 35 years and yeah. and there's still stuff we don't know it, it's just such an interesting
1: molecule so I kind of got sucked in I think But what sustained your your interest I, definitely it sounds like collaboration and and uh, working together with somebody who really had some great insights, but what were some of the unique things that you looked at and said, got to keep going?
2: Yeah, so I, so I think um, one of the really unique things was was when the penny dropped in realizing that PTHRP is expressed in so many tissues in the body you know, and it it acts locally in many different tissues in the body. It's not just a bone factor. It's not just a cartilage factor. It's not even just a mammary gland factor or a breast cancer factor. It's involved in in so many different things. And, um, you know, even even sort of the most recent project that that we've published talking about PTHRP being produced by the decidua, which is this transient organ in between the placenta Mm -hmm. and the uterus during um, embryonic development, We don't even know what its function is there, so it's just it's such a multifaceted model. I think I think that's what what keeps me thinking about it.
1: So not any one tissue in particular, not any one question, more just where did it where kind of where did it come from and why does it pop up in uh, such unusual places?
2: And and I think Dolores, that kind of reflects the the way that. That I do research, which is that when you find an interesting piece of data, I continue to follow that and work out what that means and where that's going, and trying to to learn something new, usually from an unexpected piece
1: of data. How do you weed out the unexpected data that that's a dead end versus a, a, a as we say in the in the United States, a home run? Yeah,
2: um, I'm I'm not sure I always do a great job of that. There's a there's a lot of work that. That we haven't published because it it was just really boring in the end, or it didn't reveal anything interesting. I think uh, somebody somebody said once that when you look at somebody's research track record, you're really looking at the tip of an iceberg. You know, you see all of the things that have worked, you see all of all of the papers that get published are things that have worked and that have gone pretty well. And there's a whole lot of stuff that you've left by the roadside that just hasn't worked out on the way along that. So so I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily great at working out exactly the best direction to go it's just sometimes you get lucky and there's something really interesting that you have to follow up on
1: um so i guess one question that that i think um, our listeners will be very interested in is how you sort of pick a new direction or how you pick a new project or how do you assess a project or as you say the data that come out uh to, to how, how do you decide what direction to go in
2: yeah that's a great question dolores um, I tend to go in a lot of directions at once and I choose the data that is the most intriguing and the newest to follow up on. Sometimes there are things that I have to leave by the wayside because there are not ways to follow up on it. So you have to be practical in some ways to think, okay, this is a really interesting piece of data. What could this lead to? Could this lead to something that's important? Could this lead to something that's new? And do I have techniques that I can use or are there collaborators that I can turn to who have techniques that I can use that could help me get an answer? And, and if the answer to any of those questions is no, then there's no point continuing on. If there's no way to answer the question, I can't look at it. But if it looks like it could be revealing something new about biology or something new about a molecule then and there's techniques I can use or people I can work with, then it's worth going down that
1: track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to really know the answer to all those questions until you've gotten deeper into the, the project or the, but pulling out is always hard. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, this, I think, is a, is a difficult battle that people face in research all the time because so much is invested in it. And certainly if you have a, think it's a great idea, it's hard to, it's hard to let go of some of our great ideas, I guess, uh, yeah. some of the time.
2: Look, and yeah. it, com- it comes down to funding as well. You know, we've, we've had some projects that I've really, really wanted to do them, but they just can't get funded. And every now and then I have to accept that, okay, maybe I think it's a great idea, but if nobody else thinks it's a good idea, maybe it's time to drop it.
1: We face that here all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes letting those things go is very, very hard. What do you advise our listeners? You know, people just starting out, the young postdoc uh, trying to find the project. We tend to tell them, don't we, many times, focus on one thing. Is that good advice? Or
2: I've never been good at focusing on one thing. <laughs> so so <laughs> if, if I gave that advice, I'd feel kind of dishonest. Um, it probably is a better way to go. What I tend to do is if, if there are things that I can't continue on with, I try and publish whatever I can from what we've done because I don't like the work to go wasted. I think it's important that the scientific community learns from each other, even if it hasn't been stuff that's taken off. Maybe we go back to it in 10 years' time. Um, but and, and not to throw the idea away, I've I've got a folder of, of projects that never eventuated, and every now and then I think maybe I'll go back to them. But it helps to know that that folder is there, that the ideas haven't been lost. Maybe they weren't the right idea at the time, but maybe I'll come back in a few years' time and go, Ah, oh, now we've got a way that we can look at that. So even though it's important to focus on the work that you're doing now and the projects you're doing now, don't completely get rid of those old ideas. Don't think you're never going to come back to them because their time might come. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting advice. I mean, sometimes you, you uh, read papers and you find that people have had animal models that they have come back to with new understanding. And I'm an animal model definitely lends itself to that just because sometimes, right, physiology is so intractable um, in a mouse model. But then later on the techniques are available and you can ask a whole new question. So mm-hmm. it's good advice. That I like that idea of that, that file that you kind of um put some of your best ideas you have to put to put to rest. For at least temporarily uh, in that mm-hmm. file, and not forget them. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a that's a good way to good way to do it. So I guess um one thing I think our audience uh, will want to know about is is how someone as busy as you are with your administrative uh, responsibilities, your research projects. Um, how do you keep on top of the field? How do you look for new ideas and new ways to do things? How would you advise our listeners um, who are starting their careers um, to, to do that? What have you learned and what what tricks have you learned to kind of stay on top of things?
2: I think there's there's really three ways that, that I am able to keep on top of things. Um, one of them is that we have a regular journal club in my lab, so we talk about papers that we think are interesting, and that helps us to keep on top of the field. And, and many labs do that. Um, the other way is is grant writing. I mean, it, it seems like a weird way to think that that is a vehicle for keeping on top of things, but you know, when we're writing grants, which we seem to do more and more of the time, right? And um, You've got to be looking at what's the latest techniques, what's what are the new ways of working out things. Are your ideas robust? Are you thinking properly about these things? And it's a good way of keeping up with the literature as well, you know not not just sort of rewriting the same old thing every every time you submit it, but bringing in the latest research and seeing what others are doing. And the third thing is writing papers. I think when I write a paper, I learn a lot because you, you need to write a good introduction, you need to write a good t- discussion, and that needs to be up to date and it needs to be not just up to date with the most recent literature but with the knowledge of the older literature as well. So I find I do a lot of reading when I'm writing as well
1: how about meetings? What do you recommend for people entering the field or getting interested in the field? How do you approach meetings?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe I'm not thinking about meetings so much because they know not been so present in our lives lately, um, even though there's, there's meetings online we can go to. Yeah, definitely going to conferences and listening to and talking to other scientists is really important, um, which is, I'm just not great at doing it at the moment with the virtual meetings, but we're getting yeah. there. We're getting yeah. there, and they are important. You know, I get my, my lab. Apparently, they all joke that every time I get back from a conference, um, I come in and it's like I'm buzzing because I've got all these new ideas and things that we want to look at. Because it's it's inspiring and invigorating to hear everybody else's research as well. It gives you a new perspective.
1: Do you branch out? Do you have any you know any thoughts to leave people with in terms of branching out? In other words. Do you stay really focused? Do you think more broadly? What's the the right mix when we do get back to being able to attend conferences again for having a good, stimulating uh, experience at meetings? Mm, I
2: think one of the things that I've really learned from the availability of virtual meetings is being able to go to talks that I wouldn't normally go to. Um, And that's been really mind-expanding, to hear about things that I wouldn't normally here so for example normally at the asbmr annual meeting there'll be many many different sessions all happening at once and you can't go to all of them but with a virtual meeting you can say well i'm going to watch this one now but actually i can watch that one later that might have been a lower priority or something a bit left field um, but something that i can still learn from and so go to go to broader things and it's been possible to access um seminars from people who are talking about stuff that's not bone-related. I mean, within our within our institute, um, because we're an institute that has many researchers working in different disciplines, we get a lot of seminars on topics that are not bone-related, a lot of immunology research, bioinformatics, a whole lot of different things. And that's really stimulating too, to be able to spend the time thinking about something which is science, and is really good science that is not directly related to my work at all. And that's been really helpful too.
1: Sort of disciplining yourself, it sounds like, to really try to expand bioinformatics, you know, go yeah. to things that really are not in your wheelhouse, so to speak, or at the mm. moment might not be, yeah.
2: And you're right that it's a discipline because you you go along and, you know, you I'll get lost towards the end. But I've certainly learned something in the first 20 minutes. And maybe That's right. If I get yeah. completely lost, at least I pick up things about good ways to present data.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and we always, we, always, we always need that. And we always need input on that. So, you know, I'm really curious. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are outside of Australia are going to be interested in what it's like to be a, a woman scientist in Australia and how the system works and and the competition and just just tell us a little bit about your really unique position. You are so accomplished and and you've made it. I know it's a tough system. And and tell us about what that journey or battle or what that's like.
2: Thanks, Dolores. Um
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it it is challenging. And and I'm someone who doesn't think about the challenges I've faced very often, um, which is probably how I managed to keep on going. Um, it It is harder for women in science in Australia, just as it is in other countries. We know that there's very few women in the professorial ranks compared to PhD students. You know The the famous scissor graph that gets talked about a lot, that there's this point where you have greater numbers of women than men in the early stages of the career, but then greater numbers of men than women in the late stages of the career. And we we have a national funding agency like the NIH. It's called the NHMRC here, so the National Health and Medical Research Council. And they've recognised that there really is a problem, that, that women are far less successful than men in the later stages of their career and, and are trying to address it. I guess I ignored a lot of that in the early stages of my career, and, and I didn't really accept that things were harder for women until I got later in my career and I saw how much more difficult it was because we we do tend to take um, more responsibility for our families than our husbands might. I have a fantastic husband and we have a pretty equal relationship, which I think has helped me a lot to be able to pursue my career. Um, he's, you know, very understandably moved across the world and, and back with me and, and gone wherever I've wanted to go, which has been great. And we both carry a fairly equal load at home with mm-hmm. managing things. And that makes a massive difference. When, when younger women sort of say to me, you know, how, how did you manage all this? It's so like, well, you choose your partner wisely, uh, which at, at first I started saying in a very ironic way, but I've realised how very important that is. It
1: makes a big difference. Yeah. Sure, sure. So it sounds like you, um, to kind of summarise, worked extremely hard, didn't pay too much attention to, uh some of the potentially negative influences and just kept on going and it doesn't sound like there were structural barriers maybe maybe that's not a correct statement but it sounds like you weren't mm. locked in doing things and so that's that's good to hear
2: yeah although it's interesting i i feel like i haven't had specific barriers but when i talk to uh the women around me who who know me quite well they they say no actually we we think you have you have been blocked at various points from getting where you wanted to go it's been very difficult to maintain funding and um they when they look at it they they see that yeah it this is part of a structural problem mm. um, I, I haven't necessarily been lucky um, there's been it's it's been it's been tricky but i i try not to think about that
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it mm. sounds like a very positive attitude that you've got that's uh, kind of carried the day and and lots of uh, support from a good um, yeah a good partner, which is like everything, right? Yeah, very, very important. So if we um, if we think about what take home message you would like to leave with our our listeners, our audience um, about research, about combining research and and personal life, really about anything, what advice, what would be sort of a kind of take home message that you'd like to give? to our listeners, PTHRP, Australia, female scientists, new ideas, anything you want.
2: I want to give two take-home messages. I sort of feel like I haven't talked about PTHRP enough. <laughs> this. So, so, so I do want to get in a message about PTHRP because I, I, I want people to understand that, that when you're thinking about the PTH receptor, don't think of it as just the parathyroid hormone receptor, Okay. if it is the parathyroid hormone and PTHRP receptor. So that that's one take home message that I really want people to, to grasp when you think about that receptor, it's got two ligands and, and they're different. So that's pretty cool. So that's take-home message number one. The other take-home message which, which I would really like people to, to think about, which comes from my experience of doing research, and it's not going to be true for everybody, is, is that I'd like earlier career researchers not to get too hung up on whether they're choosing the right project to work on. Just work on a project. Work on two projects, work on five projects. Just work on a project and, and keep following it. Um, be willing to drop it if it's not working and you're not getting interesting data. But if there's a project where the work is going well, just pursue it. Pursue it as as hard as you can and and think deeply about it. Don't spend time worrying about whether you've got the right project. Just work on the project that you've got, is the
1: message I'd like to leave. Very, very sound and wonderful, heartfelt advice. I I think it I think it will mean a lot to our listeners. It's been great to uh, have this chance to, to meet meet you and converse with you and and hear about your, your journey. It's been terrific. Thanks a lot. It's
0: been a pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASBMR Speaks podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the ASBMR Speaks podcast on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast streaming platform. And stay tuned for our next installment coming soon.